John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 85 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him and unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. Well, today is the day in which uh, President Trump is going to be acquitted officially in his impeachment trial. Because of uh, scheduling issues, we are taping this just before that final vote. But we are taping this just after what is clearly by far the most dramatic and impactful moment of the entire impeachment trial process. I have uh, said from the very beginning of this scandal, in fact, the day after it broke, uh, that President Trump would be impeached, but that he would be easily acquitted and that the only Republican in the Senate who would even theoretically vote to convict and remove him was Senator Mitt Romney from Utah, obviously the 2012 Republican presidential candidate who lost to Barack Obama and was then later elected in 2018 as a senator from Utah. And the reason why I've always felt that Romney was the only person who might vote to convict is, well, first of all, uh, he's older in years, uh, and he's rich, and he just got elected, and he doesn't face re-election until 2024. And if he were to not be re-elected in 2024, because of the very religious nature of his belief system and being a Mormon and just having watched him for many decades while he is clearly a principled man— uh, you know, occasionally he will also wimp out at the last minute, so I wasn't sure where he would go in this inevitable vote. But there was at least a chance that because of those circumstances, and as I referred in the last uh, episode of the podcast, he has at least one testicle, maybe not two, but at least one, largely because of his wealth and also because of his religious beliefs. If there was one person who might vote to convict, it was Mitt Romney. I wrote a column at the beginning of the impeachment trial for Mediate, which you can find. We'll repost it at our, our Twitter feed, if you haven't seen it already. That was an open letter to Mitt Romney, and it basically laid out the case. Dear Mitt Romney, uh, I know you're going to be under enormous pressure to vote with your team, to vote uh, in favor of acquitting Donald Trump. Your life would be a lot easier if you did it that way. But that because you're in this unique position of being the only Republican who might vote to convict, I would ask you to consider another path, a path that would have far more value to history 
and to your own grandchildren. Uh, because it was my very strong belief that the difference between Mitt Romney voting to convict Donald Trump and him voting to acquit was far, far, far more significant than changing a number in the final tally. The reason why it was so much more significant in what Mitt Romney was going to do is if Mitt Romney voted to acquit, then that meant that every Republican voted for Donald Trump throughout this entire process, unless you count Justin Amash in the House, who is now technically an independent. He voted to impeach, and I, I count him as a Republican. But by and large, his, history would record that it was a completely and totally partisan vote at every level, except for a couple of Democratic uh, voters who, in fact, voted in favor of Donald Trump. This would be as close to an exoneration as Donald Trump was ever going to get. He would be able to say forever that this was purely a partisan Democratic exercise and that, therefore, it had no legitimacy. And it was far more significant than just what is Donald Trump going to get to claim? What kind of a victory lap is he going to be able to take? To me, and I'm a big believer in how history is going to see all of this, especially during this crazy Trump era. To me, there was going to be a moment sometime in the future, and I've said this many times with regard to impeachment, that sometime in the future, there's going to be a future Congress that's going to look back on this impeachment process, and they're going to look at it for precedent. And it scares the living daylights out of me that some future tyrant, not a buffoon like Donald Trump, Someone with serious ill intent and the ability to get it actually done far better than Donald Trump is going to be able to drive a Mack truck through the precedent set by this sham impeachment trial. And so this was the stakes, as I saw them, uh, when Mitt Romney was going to make his final decision as to whether or not to vote to convict or to acquit Donald Trump. Now, even though I wrote the open letter, as I mentioned at the top of the last episode of this podcast— a lot of people perceive me as a pessimist. I am often a pessimist, but I actually perceive myself as being more often a delusional optimist because I take what is often the worst possible scenario and then I, find to find, I try to find the best possible outcome within that scenario because that's the way life tends to actually work. And so as someone who likes to cling to hope, and it's been more and more difficult to cling to hope, especially in the last few days, I will be fully uh, willing to admit that these last few days, from the disaster of the Iowa caucus to last night's State of the Union address to the fact that Trump was going to get acquitted so easily, it has been extremely depressing for me personally, and I'm sure for a lot of other Americans who care about uh, justice and right and wrong. And so it's, it, it, you know, from a human standpoint, you want to cling to hope, uh, but you're also, especially as a cynic, you want to be realistic and you're bracing yourself for the worst because you've been disappointed so many damn times before especially by politicians who are completely and totally gutless and do only what is best for them and not in what is the best interest of the country, whether it's today, tomorrow, or in the future. And so it was with that mentality that I, I thought about what Mitt Romney was going to do today. In fact, I, I have a column that I've written about why Trump got away with this. And there are, are two versions of the column. One was based upon Mitt Romney uh, voting to acquit, and one was written based upon Mitt Romney voting to convict. I only sent in, uh, before we did the podcast, because it'll, it'll be posted once the impeachment vote is final, I only sent in the one where Mitt Romney voted to acquit, because I don't know if that was a protective mechanism on my part or whether or not that was a prediction, but it was, it was my belief that that was probably where he was going to go down, because when in doubt, vote, in, vote on the side of cowardice. Bet on the side of cowardice, and you're very rarely going to lose. And so I, I still had hope, though, and I, I was still very much looking forward to, to finding out what Mitt Romney was going to do. And today at 2 p.m. Eastern, he took to the Senate floor to announce uh, his, his decision. And, uh, you know, he started off really strong, uh, I, but I was expecting that. I was expecting Mitt Romney was going to say, you know, some very critical things of the president— and what happened with regard to Ukraine and uh, how the, the evidence against him is damning. But there was a moment very early on in his speech when uh, he talked about what a religious man he is, and he started to choke up. And he got quiet for, I don't know how long it was, it was several seconds. And it was at that moment I was 
my reaction was, oh, my gosh, he's, he's going to vote to convict because you only get choked up in that particular situation when you know what you're getting yourself into is going to be hell, that you, you're making a decision based upon your religious beliefs that is going to cause you short-term, and by short-term I mean for the next four years, <laughs> extraordinary difficulty. But I still wasn't 100% positive because I'm a pessimist by nature. And I was going to wait until it was over to be willing to celebrate. Well, sure enough, from that moment on, Mitt Romney laid out the case that the president's arguments in favor of what he did held no, held no water, held no weight, that the evidence against him was overwhelming, that the charges absolutely met the threshold for impeachment, and that he, Mitt Romney, Republican senator, Republican presidential nominee from 2012, was going to vote to convict the president of the United States and to remove him from office. And uh, when I saw this uh, actually happen, I, I became very emotional. I don't get emotional over hardly anything. I hardly ever cry. I actually had tears in my eyes as I was watching Mitt Romney do this, uh, partially uh, because I'm so used to being disappointed by public figures that when you get surprised in a positive direction, it becomes rather emotional, but also because uh, I am convinced that he has done the right thing. I don't believe that my column had anything to do with it, uh, but I, you know, I'd certainly love to believe that, it, that maybe somehow it crossed his path in the last couple of weeks. But the reality is uh, he did the right thing, and he's going to suffer for it. He's probably going to end his career over this. This is probably the end of Mitt Romney. That's clearly the end of Mitt Romney with regard to contemporary conservative politics. But because I now believe that Donald Trump is probably going to be reelected, and that's part of what made Mitt Romney's decision so remarkably courageous. I mean, in the last few days— it has become very clear to, to me and to many other people that Donald Trump is going to be president of the United States through 2024, unless he dies. I mean, that's the most likely scenario right now. I'll get into why that is shortly. But that means the end of Mitt Romney's career, because in 2024, Donald Trump will be an incumbent president and be able to have anybody he wants primary Mitt Romney in Utah should Romney even decide to run for re-election? The most likely scenario at this point, and obviously it's years from now, but anything could happen, but the most likely scenario is Mitt Romney's not even going to run for re-election now, that he, is, he has signed his own political death notice, that this will be the final chapter. And we've talked a lot on this show about how old men lose their balls, and constantly that has been proven to be true, and that's partially why I was cynical about what Mitt Romney would ultimately do. But I also believe that there was hope that Mitt Romney might be a little bit different and that somehow, some way, Wright would win the day. And thanks to Mitt Romney finding something inside of himself, that's what's happened. And this is way, way, way more than just a slap in the face to Donald Trump. Yeah, in the short run, it's going to be awesome to watch Donald Trump whine and complain and go on some, I'm sure he'll go on a Twitter rampage against Mitt Romney and what a loser Mitt Romney is. By the way, remember that Donald Trump enthusiastically endorsed Mitt Romney to be president of the United States in 2012. Just remember that. It was an embarrassing moment for Mitt Romney. It was, ironically, it was one of the worst mistakes Mitt Romney ever made because it helped facilitate Donald Trump in 2016 by giving him credibility. And so I'll, I'll never forgive Mitt for that. Although today, <laughs> that seems like a distant memory. But uh, it's not just that this will ruin Trump's celebration party. This is a, a vote for the future. This is a vote for history. This is a vote so that some future Congress doesn't look back on this sham impeachment trial and can't figure out what really happened. They can't look at this and go, well, there was nothing there. This is not impeachable. Uh, and then therefore use it as precedent to interpret whatever is happening in, in their day and age years from now, might even not be that long from now, when a real potential dictator or tyrant 
is trying to use this as precedent to remain in office and Congress isn't able to get rid of them. The reality is that they'll be able now for all time to look at the record of this trial and they will see that not just a Republican, but the last Republican presidential nominee before the current president voted to convict and remove Donald Trump from office. That will be an incredibly powerful signal to what really happened here, that it wasn't just a partisan exercise. It was not a coup attempt, that in fact it was totally legitimate and that there was at least one man, a prominent man, maybe the most prominent Republican senator who did what was against their own political self-interest and voted to convict. That makes it legitimate. That means you cannot logically argue that this was a coup, that this was an illegitimate effort, that this was not based in anything, that this was an overreach by a Democratic House desperate to impeach Donald Trump. All of that, there's still people going to argue that, but you cannot claim that that wins the day and ignore what Mitt Romney just did. He, and I think that that's probably what motivated, I'm guessing here, but I believe that's probably what motivated Romney to do this, that he knew that his vote would have enormous power in the future someday, and that maybe, just maybe, he would be protecting what's left of this republic by casting a vote that he knew was going to cause him enormous personal pain and cause him force him to endure a lot of sacrifice over the next few years. He knows it. He's a smart guy, but he did the right thing. And he did the right thing for his grandchildren, for my children, and who knows if I'll ever have grandchildren, for the future of this country. And if he had not, this whole situation would be perceived both today and in the future totally differently. So, My hat's off to Mitt Romney. He surprised even me. And uh, it is incredibly rare. It shouldn't be so rare, but it is incredibly rare in this day and age to see someone actually do something against their own self-interest because they believe it's the right thing to do. And in this case, it absolutely positively was. And I'll tell you, I mean, the rest of the Republican caucus, they're going to hate the hell out of Mitt Romney. Not, and ironically, not because they disagree with him, but because they agree with him. That's what really makes people hate someone else. When you make someone feel bad about themselves, they hate you with a deep passion because that's the worst thing you can do, especially for these egomaniacs. They all want to believe that they came up with some legitimate justification for not voting to convict Donald Trump. And Mitt Romney just made that much more difficult. There are many who who will probably buy this bullcrap narrative that Romney can't get over, that Trump won and he lost. Yeah, what? If you believe that, come on, please. The reality is this is a cult who is looking at Mitt Romney and saying, Yeah, by telling the truth. That's what it is. Mitt Romney told the truth, and did what was right, and he is now forever because this is a cult. This is absolutely a cult. And, you know, I'm sure Elijah Cummings, the late Elijah Cummings, is awfully proud of Mitt Romney today. We're better than that. Well, Mitt Romney was better than that. Mitt Romney today was better than that. But the other 52 Republican senators were not. And, and they all voted to allow Donald Trump to be a king. That's what they did. They voted for him to be a king, and they all came up with the most absurd explanations possible. Each one was a little bit different than the other. Each one was more absurd than the next. And I'll tell you, the person who probably gets most harmed politically by Mitt Romney's vote is Susan Collins. Susan, I don't see how in the world Susan Collins 
possibly survives uh, a re-election bid after voting to acquit Donald Trump when here she is, the last of the, the Northeastern Republican senators, and Mitt Romney, former governor of Massachusetts, neighboring state. So how in the world she can possibly... When, you, when you're representing Maine and Mitt Romney in Massachusetts, from Massachusetts, although now he represents Utah, when he votes to convict and you vote in favor of witnesses, but then vote to acquit based upon the most absurd, I mean, the most absurd uh, foundation or alleged explanation you could possibly come up with. I don't know how that happens. I really don't. I mean, she was probably in big trouble to begin with because there was no path she could take politically. If she votes to convict, the Trump people don't show up for her and she's toast. I mean, because even though they're not 51 percent in Maine, those are people when you got a cult. And this is the danger of the Trump cult. This is why the Trump cult is so powerful and why Trump can't be removed, because Susan Collins is in a purple state running for reelection. And the Trump cult is nowhere near enough to get her to win, but she can't possibly win without them. Because whatever percentage they are in Maine, I don't know, whether it's 20%, 30%, it's enough to where she cannot win if they don't show up. And because they're a cult, they won't show up for her because Trump will tell them not to. Hell, it's such a cult, Trump probably doesn't even have to tell them not to show up for her. But what was her explanation? Wow, this was unbelievable. I mean, I, this, it, I never even considered her as a, a possibility to vote to convict. This is why I wrote the, the letter to Mitt Romney. But, I mean, her I, even I was blown away by how absurd her explanation was. Her explanation, as she, as she told CBS and Nora O'Donnell in an interview today, which we're going to play here in a second, was that Donald Trump had learned his lesson from this. That Donald Trump had learned his lesson, it didn't rise to the level of impeachment, and it, therefore it wasn't going to happen again, and it was no, there was no need to remove him from office because of this. This is what it sounded like from Susan Collins on CBS. Article 1 alleges the president, quote, will remain a threat to national security and the Constitution if allowed to remain in office. Are you confident that the president won't seek foreign assistance again. I believe that the president has learned from this case. What do you believe the president has learned? The president has been impeached. That's a pretty big lesson. I'm voting to acquit because I do not believe that the behavior alleged reaches the high bar in the Constitution for overturning an election and removing a duly elected president. But the president says he did nothing wrong. Why do you think he learned something? He was impeached, and there has been criticism by both Republican and Democratic senators of his call. I believe that he will be much more cautious in the future. <laughs> She cannot really believe that, right? I mean, really? You cannot be serious. <laughs> really? I mean, he learned his lesson. He's not going to do it again in the future because of of the impeachment. It's just flat out ridiculous. <laughs> and le let's not forget this uh, absurd canard that keeps being thrown out there that uh, this somehow would overturn an election. I've said this, uh, I don't know how many times in this podcast. Removing Trump would not have overturned an election. That is why we vote for both a president and, wait for it, a vice president. There are two people on the ballot. Correct. The second person is there in case something happens to the first person. So, therefore, removing that person, Donald Trump, would have not overturned an election. It would have simply further validated that election because Mike Pence, who apparently Republicans must hate the hell out of because they're so desperate to keep him from being president, he would be president of the United States. And, and, and then, by the way, Republicans would essentially get to pick a new vice president. So 
all it is is one person. It's not a. This is not a monarchy. This is not. He's not a king. And this. This. Of all of the many, many problems I have with Donald Trump in general, and specifically this issue of of the impeachment, that's by far number one. This is this. This is not a monarchy. He's not a king, but Senator Collins is treating him like a king. That's what she's doing. And all the Republicans who voted today to acquit him are treating him and future presidents as a king. That it's literally the number one thing this country was founded on was that we are not a monarchy. It's always baffled me why we're so obsessed with the British monarchy. Many books should be written about the psychology of Americans being obsessed with a completely powerless and and dysfunctional uh, British royal family. Since we fought a revolution against Great Britain so that we don't have a king. And now here we are quickly evolving towards a monarchy. And by the way, that's the best way to describe it. If you really want to be pessimistic about it, we're, we're building the foundation for a, for a tyranny, for a dictatorship. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Right now, Donald Trump views himself and acts like a king. Last night's State of the Union address was very much like that of a king. Here he's going to give a a medal of freedom to Rush Limbaugh right in the middle of the of the show. Uh, He's going to give away a scholarship to a black girl in Pennsylvania. Just by the way, I'm sure that was a coincidence since blacks in Pennsylvania will be a key to his his reelection. He's he's going to have a a family reunited with their, their military dad live right in the middle of the state of the union. I mean, this this was the act of a reality show king. These were all that's what this was. And you know what was missing, Senator Collins, from the State of the Union address? And I joked about this on Twitter. You know, my favorite, I joked that my favorite part of the State of the Union address was when Trump uh, very stoically and humbly uh, admitted that what he did with Ukraine was wrong. He apologized to the American people for it and promised that nothing like that would ever happen again. Yeah, that did not happen. Correct. Because it would never happen. Correct. Because it's not in Donald Trump's DNA to do anything like that. Correct. And that's why it's so completely absurd for Susan Collins to make that argument. And you can tell a lot about how someone justifies an act (laughs) and how absurd their actual position is. No one has been able to come up with a rational way of defending it. You know what? I would actually respect it, and I would respect Republicans last night uh, at the State of the Union. I would somewhat respect and, and, and maybe even partially go along with uh, the, the, at least the rationale with, of some of these Republicans if they just admitted, no, we believe that the presidency is, is a, a monarchy, that he's a king. Because that would explain a lot. That would explain, by the way, the enormous hypocrisy that my you know former uh, fellow conservatives all had in reacting to Nancy Pelosi's act of defiance at the end of the State of the Union address last night. You're probably aware that Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> in an act that I thought was obviously contrived, it was all uh, you know for show, it was obviously an attempt for her to give her side something to cheer about because they had just endured... Donald Trump, and let's be clear, Donald Trump made a very uh, effective, strategic, political speech at the State of the Union address last night, one that was narrowly focused on his reelection. It was almost all about the key states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and a couple of others. It was very effective, and his base was orgasmic over what he did last night. And so Nancy Pelosi, in a way to try to combat that very dramatically, but clearly in a very contrived fashion, took the paper copy of his speech and ripped it up behind his back as the speech was ending. And my gosh, social media went bananas. Now, do I agree with what Nancy Pelosi did? No, I wouldn't have done it, Um, but I get why she did it. She's trying to fight fire with fire. 
She understands that the, the rules have now all changed because of Donald Trump. But my biggest uh, outrage in this whole thing is the pearl-clutching Trump supporters who are just such blatant hypocrites. These are people who cheer every time Trump does something to disrupt the establishment and insult somebody because it's owning the libs and and destroys all sense of decorum and tradition. They love it. I mean, they 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 masturbate to video almost literally to videos of Trump doing this very same kind of thing. And then when someone gives him his own medicine, it's oh, 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 clutch my pearls. I can't believe that Nancy Pelosi would do something so outrageous, so classless. I'm sorry. Screw you. You, you lost the ability to talk about class and uh, decorum and being presidential like three and a half years ago. (laughs) I mean, I think the Access Hollywood tape pretty much ended any argument uh, that uh, Trump fans could have uh, that class matters, that decorum matters. It doesn't. You, you, You already destroyed that argument when you voted for Donald Trump. So, so don't give me this uh, this baloney that somehow, oh, my gosh, this is outrageous what uh, Nancy Pelosi did. Nancy Pelosi actually took one for the team. She gave her team something to cheer about, and she totally changed the subject. The subject, no one's, even Trump himself, Trump himself. I saw a CNN reporter tweet this. As of this morning, Trump had tweeted four times as much about what Nancy Pelosi did than about his own speech. I'm sure it's worse by now. And so, politically, it makes no difference. It's just a game. It's all a reality show. But uh, I'm sorry, I I don't buy this notion that when you change all the rules, that the other side is still supposed to to play by the same set of rules. Uh, Is it good for the country? No. I mean, my gosh. You know, it's ironic that it's the State of the Union address because nothing proves how lacking in unity we are than the address itself and the reaction to it. I mean, it's like we're in pre-Civil War era. And all the polls indicate that. Half the country wants Trump removed from office. Damn near half the country now wants him reelected. Which is, that's, that is scary regardless of what your political beliefs are. That is not the recipe for a for a functioning union. That is a country that's about to split apart. And, and if the economy tanks eventually, which it probably will, who knows when, some year from now or some massive event occurs or who knows what would would cause such a thing. But our foundation is is now crumbling. We are incredibly vulnerable to to something catastrophic happening to this union and we're playing games. It's all about owning each other. It's all like third grade playground stuff. It's pathetic. But, on you know, so I, I'm not in favor of what Pelosi did, but I'm not going to condemn it. I, I'm only going to condemn the hypocrites who, who are all upset about it because while they simultaneously not only accept but defend everything else Donald Trump does on a daily basis that's way worse than ripping up a couple of pieces of paper at the State of the Union address. So Trump... I don't know what the final tally was. My guess is it's probably going to be close to 52-48. If I had to guess right now, and the vote is occurring just after we tape this, there's probably going to be a couple of Democrats who might vote to acquit on a couple of articles. But maybe Romney will make that more difficult. You know, Romney probably made it much more difficult for the couple Democrats that were still on the fence to vote to acquit. Uh, so I don't know. It may, maybe it was 52-48, but it was in that range. Trump wins, and I have uh, that column that I referenced earlier will be out at our, our Twitter feed explaining why Trump won this battle. And there's no question he won. There's no question that he won uh, and that it that is not the best outcome. But thanks to Mitt Romney, it's not the worst outcome either. There's something that has been salvaged from the wreckage here. And uh, we all should be thanking Mitt Romney for that. Uh, I know I will for uh, quite a long time to come. Now, um, 
in a moment, uh, I'll have some thoughts on the Iowa caucuses and why it is that I believe now uh, that Donald Trump is a prohibitive favorite to be reelected president of the United States. Uh, We'll get to that in a moment. But first, here's an important interview I did with Tom Bauer, the founder of our sponsor, Imbue CBD. Tom, thanks so much for joining us and for your sponsorship of the program. Please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your company, Imbue Botanicals. Sure, John. Imbue Botanicals produces really the most extensive line of premium clinical-grade full-spectrum CBD products, including tinctures, capsules, topical lotions and salves, and even award-winning beauty products. They're available in multiple strengths for both people as well as pets. Our premium Colorado-grown hemp products are non-GMO, cruelty-free, and even vegan. Now, a lot of people might not be that familiar yet with CBD. It's getting a lot of publicity. But for those who aren't, what is CBD and why do you guys think it's so important? CBD is short for cannabidiol. It's one of the 115 or so cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis plant. It's generally accepted as the cannabinoid or the element, basically, that provides the health benefits for cannabis. But science has shown really that CBD works best when combined with all the other cannabinoids and the natural terpenes that are found naturally in the plant, which is why our products are full spectrum, meaning they offer a full cadre of all the cannabinoids and terpenes for maximum effectiveness. Now, Tom, you mentioned that Imbue uses hemp. Tell our audience, if you will, the difference between hemp and marijuana, and why your product is not the latter. Great, John. It's really important to understand this. You know, we're all familiar with medical marijuana. Our products are, are not made from marijuana. They're actually made from hemp. Basically, hemp and marijuana are both the cannabis sativa plant. The difference is that hemp contains extremely low levels of THC, which is the cannabinoid that makes you high when you ingest or smoke marijuana. By law, hemp must contain 0.3% or less of THC by dry weight. So, so low, basically, that you can't get high from the product. So, in essence, basically, with hemp, you get all the health benefits of medical marijuana without the high or the psychoactive effect of THC. I should also add here that Congress last year passed the 2018 Farm Bill, which essentially legalized hemp federally and descheduled all the non-THC cannabinoids. So, Essentially, it's, it's, uh, it's legal, which obviously people want to know. Is, you know, can, can I buy it? Can I use it? It's legal. Now, when, when I use it, it's really helped my sleeping. I've only just started using uh, some of your products. But tell us, uh, what are some of the benefits that our listeners might find if they, if they use Imbue Botanical products? Really great question, John. We're actually not allowed to make claims about CBD or products per the FDA. Just an aside, if your listeners come across sites out there that are making health claims, we should always just avoid them. Just you don't want to deal with, with folks like that. It's, it's not legal to do that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't health benefits to CBD. We at Imbue Botanicals always encourage our customers to do their own research. There is a ton of information and studies available on the Internet. You want to talk to your physician, your independent pharmacist, even your veterinarian. You know, become informed. We've seen some absolutely amazing things personally and with our customers. Obviously, you know, the onus, if you will, is on each individual to to go out there and, and do the kind of research to see if it may be a fit for the kind of things that they're experiencing. Also, you know, check out our website, which has a ton of additional information as well. And that website is? It's www.imbuecbd.com. That's www.imbuecbd.com. Now, you mentioned the FDA, and just before we taped this interview, there was a news story where the FDA put out a warning and sent letters to, I think, 15 different CBD companies. Yours was not one of them. It was perceived as the FDA basically, I don't know, seemed to be like, backing away a little bit from CBD. What was your interpretation of what the FDA did and and how should our listeners interpret it? That's an extremely good question as well, John. And I think first and foremost is what the FDA is doing, especially when they're sending out letters to companies that they send letters out to, is doing their job. Their job is to really protect the American public from, you know, basically, you know, drugs that shouldn't be there, that aren't doing what they're supposed to do, that can cause harm, and also making sure that companies are doing what they're supposed to do. In in the case of these letters, these companies were making health claims simply because of how FDA operates and and the way that, uh, you know, CBD, which is basically a kind of a a brand new uh, thing for FDA, 
they're not allowed to make. You know, I'm glad that they're doing that. You know, we never make claims uh, at Imbue Botanicals. That's something that, that is, again, is, it goes back to the customer to do a lot of their own research on. They also came out with some basic overviews and essentially said you should really know what you're doing before you take CBD. It's not necessarily something you should be taking in water and in food products. You should basically get the kind of information that you need and talk to your healthcare team, your physician, your pharmacist, your, your veterinarian to make sure that there's a medical professional, you know, kind of assisting in the process. Now, in my experience, having used the product and seen the packaging and everything, you guys are totally first class, but first class comes with some expense. You guys are a little bit more expensive than your competitors. Tell us, tell us why you bring more value. We are more expensive than some folks, and certainly not more expensive than others, but uh, but we're, we are a higher-priced product, and the reason for that is, is where we grow, how we extract, how we formulate our products. We do that for maximum effectiveness. And, you know, what our folks tell us, and whether they're the pharmacies that we sell to or the customers that use our product or patients who use our product every day, they tell us that the product works and works better than things that uh, other products that they bought. It's more expensive to do it correctly, but ultimately that's obviously what customers want. If you're going to spend the money, they want something that works, and that's what our products do. So, Tom, if our listeners want to buy your products and, or learn more about them, where should they go? Go to our website. It's www.imbuecbd. That's www.imb, as in boy, uecbd.com, Tom, thanks so much for your time and your sponsorship. John, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it. So on Monday night... They held the Iowa caucuses, and in the last episode of the podcast, I told you why I no longer have any belief in or faith in the Iowa caucuses. As a kid, I thought they were a wonderful democratic exercise. Now as an adult, and now that the world has changed and I've become far more cynical, I think of the Iowa caucuses as a total joke. They make no damn sense. They especially make no damn sense on the democratic side when you have uh, a state that is probably going to vote for Trump with uh, 90-some percent white people uh, in a heavily farming area. Uh, they're the ones—and by the way, it's not even a, a large segment of the Democratic Party in Iowa. It's a tiny segment of the Democratic Party in Iowa who decided to go outside on a cold uh, February night to spend a couple of hours caucusing, and that somehow these numbers have a significant impact on who Democrats are going to choose nationally to go up against Donald Trump. I mean, that's it's it's absurd. It's just flat out ridiculous. But that was before the utter debacle of what occurred on Monday night. And it was an absolute debacle. I mean, here we are taping uh, late Wednesday morning in Los Angeles, and we still don't know the final results of what happened. Now, I had predicted, ironically, back in December, I wrote a column about what's going to happen in 2020, where I predicted that Pete Buttigieg would win the Iowa caucuses. I changed that prediction just before the caucus, and I thought that Bernie Sanders would edge out Pete Buttigieg. He may still have, and it may, you know, it could just be how you define who the winner is, because they have three different sets of numbers, making it even more convoluted than it already was. And, uh, but I predicted that Sanders would win, Buttigieg would come in second, and that it would be uh, Biden, uh, a, a distant third. He wouldn't compete for first or second, but he would finish third. And that I thought Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar from uh, Minnesota were going to battle for fourth place. Well, that didn't turn out to be the way it looks. I mean, we didn't know Monday night because they didn't count the frickin' votes. There was a complete catastrophe. Uh, we still don't know exactly why. And here we are a couple days later, and we still don't have all the results. But it appears as if Buttigieg and Sanders were essentially in a dead heat. I mean, to say one beat the other is kind of absurd, Uh, again, especially because of the different ways they count the votes and who the delegates and the the popular vote total. So effectively, Buttigieg and Sanders tied for first. Warren came in third and Biden came in fourth, barely ahead of Klobuchar. Uh, And. In, this was almost the worst possible scenario for Democrats to beat Donald Trump. There are a couple of things that could have happened worse. Uh, but of all the the bad scenarios, this was certainly in the top couple percentage points. 
And, and number one is because it made the Democrats look like morons. That's the most important thing. They couldn't even do their caucus properly. They couldn't even report the results. And so here you have an incumbent president on the rise about to beat impeachment with his approval ratings rising as we speak and have been for for several months now with an economy that is incredibly resilient and with terrorist leaders being killed on on an almost monthly basis in this environment. The Democrats can't get it up. They literally can't get their their numbers out. And uh, so it makes them look like buffoons. That's problem number one. Problem number two, the two people who are coming out of Iowa with whatever bounce there will be, of course, that's going to be diminished because of the counting debacle. You've got Sanders and Buttigieg. Now, um, Sanders cannot uh, win because, and, and it's very frustrating, I'll do an entire podcast on, on why Sanders and Buttigieg and Warren uh, cannot beat uh, Donald Trump. But I'm, but in the very short explanation for why Sanders cannot beat Trump is that most of the American people don't know that he refers to himself as a socialist. I mean, and that's number one. I mean, it just drives me crazy that uh, these pollsters, if, if these pollsters, they, they could change the entire dynamic of the race if they just did the following. Forget about national polling. Forget about national polling. Just do state polling in key states and do head-to-head matchups where you ask the question. And I've been a pollster, so I know a little bit of how this works. You ask the question, do you prefer Democratic Socialist from Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders or incumbent President of the United States Donald Trump? Because that's the choice people will have in November. And if you gave people in key states that choice in that way, Bernie Sanders would get his ass kicked. I don't know what the numbers exactly would be, but Trump would kick his ass. People do not like the word socialist and they don't like, you know, Vermont is basically a foreign country. And there's just, he is a completely different person once you even start to vet him. But people don't know who he is. They only just think of the guy who challenged Hillary Clinton and got a whole bunch of votes because people didn't like Hillary Clinton in 2016. By the way, uh, one of the bigger problems that Iowa uh, Democrats have and the Demo- and when, why, why I'm now convinced that Trump is the favorite, there was no outpouring of votes on Monday night. The vote totals were essentially the same as they were in 2016. When it was a foregone conclusion, Hillary Clinton was going to be the nominee. And they thought they were all going to win. What happened to all the anti-Trump enthusiasm? There there was no outpouring of of turnout. And there was no specific outpouring of turnout for Sanders. So actually, Monday night was a bad night for Sanders. Especially if he didn't technically win. But So Sanders, in a general election, and there are Democrats who are now being willing to say that. Hillary Clinton has said it. James Carville has said it. uh, A few other prominent Democrats are starting to say, wait a minute, hold on. Uh, Sanders cannot beat Donald Trump. And so let's let's let's, you know, nip this in the bud now. Of course, it could be too late because he's coming almost to his home base in New Hampshire next week. And if he wins New Hampshire, he he might not be the nominee, but he's going to be in there forever. He's going to be there till the end, till the convention. And he's going to cause a massive problem. And that's one of the many reasons why uh, I'm becoming convinced that Trump is going to win re-election. As far as Buttigieg is concerned, I mean, this is, I like Pete Buttigieg personally. I think he's smart. I like the way he speaks. I like his tone. Uh, you know, I might even like him more as a president than Donald Trump, which isn't saying much. Uh, you know, I have obvious issues with him on issues, uh, but I have no problem with him personally. That's my point here. But I got a big problem with him with regard to whether or not he can beat Donald Trump. I mean, let's just face it. And I, I, people's brains explode when I when I tweet this reality. But here's the reality. If Pete Buttigieg won Iowa, <laughs> the winner of the Iowa caucus to go up against Donald Trump, incumbent president, with a in the time of peace and prosperity, is a 38-year-old unemployed man who's married to a man. Let me repeat that. 
I mean, and this is we're not a substantive country now. So th- th- that's all that re- those are those are the only factoids that people are going to really know. The uh, you know that the whole population is going to know. He's 38 years old, never accomplished anything of major note that qualifies him to be president of the United States. And he is now the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Last night, NBC did an interview with Pete Buttigieg where they referred to him still as the mayor of Indiana, South Bend, Indiana. He's not. And that matters, not just because it's the truth, but because the word former for a 38-year-old person is very dismissive. Former is a very powerful word, usually in a negative direction. But he's unemployed. He doesn't have a gig. He's not in office. And psychologically, subconsciously, that matters. And why the media is is letting him get away with this idea that he's somehow still the mayor is absurd and dangerous. But let's face it. He is 38, unemployed, and married to a man. And I have taken an awful lot of criticism for having uh, said that the fact that he's married to a man would hurt him against Trump. In fact, I even when I've written column a column about this, I got enormous blowback. It was I had to fight tooth and nail just to be able to publish my own column about this because there is so much fear within the media of even touching this issue that, oh, oh, we can't talk about the fact that Mayor Pete might be hurt politically in a general election because he's married to a man. Well, there was a video that came out that was complete and total vindication for my view on this. Again, let's be clear. I don't care that he's married to a man. It doesn't matter to me that he happens to be gay. I don't care. What I care about is how is it going to impact his ability to beat Donald Trump and prevent a second term for Donald Trump? And there was a video that went viral, which was extraordinary. It was a Iowa caucus goer who apparently did not intend to vote for Pete Buttigieg. I think she was going to vote for Amy Klobuchar. But the way they do this is if your candidate doesn't get 15 percent meet the threshold, then you have to make a second choice or you can make a second choice. And she had made the second choice of Pete Buttigieg. And then as she was in the process of caucusing with the Buttigieg people, she somehow learned because I think she overheard someone talking about his husband. She says, wait, what? He's got a husband. Give me back my card. I, I can't vote for Buttigieg. No, I'm a Christian. I I can't do that. And she was emphatic about it. And this was at a Democratic caucus in Iowa. And one of the many things people don't understand is the vast majority of Americans don't pay back that close attention to the news. They missed the Time magazine cover where Buttigieg was with his husband on the cover. If you're not an avid news watcher, it's actually very easy to miss that Buttigieg is not just gay but married to a man. And because the news media will ignore this issue, if Buttigieg were to be the nominee, that would shock the hell out of a lot of key voters. I don't know how many, but enough to matter. And so you're going to send a 38-year-old unemployed guy who, by the way, is like five foot six, five foot seven, and married to a man? You're going to throw him into a debate with Donald Trump? Yeah, intellectually, he'll kick the hell out of Trump. But that's not the way we decide things anymore in this country. Just from a visual image, it's going to be horrendous for Buttigieg. And Trump will win that battle. And trust me, Trump's going to make sure everybody knows that Buttigieg is married to a man. Everyone will know that. There's not going to be any caucus goers (laughs) saying, what? Buttigieg as a as a uh, a husband? No, that's not going to happen in November. So you got two front runners right now, based upon Iowa, who uh, are, I believe, going to lose to Donald Trump, especially given that things are looking up for Trump politically. I have said time and time and time and time again, though recently I have been weakening in this position pretty dramatically, that Joe Biden is the guy to go up against Donald Trump. Well. Unfortunately, Democrats have done to Joe Biden exactly what Donald Trump was hoping would happen with regard to the Ukrainian scandal. Congratulations, Iowa Democrats. You did to Joe Biden what Trump was hoping 
what happened to Joe Biden. That's what the whole Ukrainian scandal was about. So you just did Trump's work for him by having Biden come in fourth place, barely, over the fifth place, Amy Klobuchar. Uh, So uh, Biden's got big problems. Now, I want to make clear, I'm not saying that Biden cannot win the nomination anymore because I I still believe that Sanders and Buttigieg are going to have a hard time winning the nomination. And so, therefore, since there's really only five, maybe six, if you count Michael Bloomberg now, because I think he's got to be taken seriously based upon how much money he has and the way this chaos is breaking. But if if you consider there's really only six people that have any shot at winning the nomination, if Buttigieg and Sanders cannot, well, Biden's still in the, in the in the pool here of potential candidates. I have to say, things actually broke pretty well for Warren. She did better than I expected. I thought that she was in trouble. She outdid the polling. She outdid Joe Biden. She outdid Amy Klobuchar. And you know, New Hampshire doesn't tend to like her. But if she were to win New Hampshire, I don't know how you I don't know how you stop Warren. Next week's the New Hampshire primary. If Warren were to win, it's going to be really tough to stop her. Uh, but more importantly than anything, here's here's why I mean of the many reasons why I'm now convinced that Trump is likely to win re-election. There's no scenario where this gets unmuddled soon enough to where the Democratic Party is going to be united. The Bernie Sanders people are going to cause a problem. The Buttigieg people are going to cause a problem. Biden is already today being forced to attack Sanders and Buttigieg. And by the way, he's attacking them exactly the right way. He's attacking Sanders as a guy who calls himself a socialist and is going to cause problems down the ticket for the Democratic Party. Both those things are true. And he's attacking Buttigieg for having only the experience of being a mayor of a, of a, of a small town in Indiana, which is also true. And just the tip of the iceberg of the problems that Buttigieg would have against Trump. So, but, but the problem there is that's not a scenario where Biden is uniting the party around him. That's a scenario where he has to win a long, brutal slog and he's weakened even if he somehow survives it all. And that's why I, I, right now, and I, this is purely just a, an inkling based upon today's very chaotic, <laughs> chaotic circumstances my inkling right now is that warren is looking more and more troubling that she might end up being the person especially if she does well in new hampshire mike bloomberg that's a totally different story bloomberg you know i thought it was a a a fantasy that he could possibly win the nomination largely because he got elected originally in new york as as a technically a Republican, and that will come back to haunt him. But he's got so much money, and this thing is going to be so muddled and is so working in his favor. I now think you got to consider Mike Bloomberg as a legitimate threat. But more than more than anything else, I don't see how anyone emerges. That's the biggest problem. I don't see how anyone emerges in a way that can unite the Democratic Party in a potent fashion against Donald Trump. And because Trump has so much going for him, incumbency, a good economy that shows no signs of weakening, and a a peacetime situation where he's killing terrorists, uh, and and a cult-like following. When you consider all those things together, and now his approval rating is above that threshold I've talked about many times before, of does he get to ride the ride? It's He's now well above... Riding the ride. He's now in the 45, 46% top. He's up four or five points in the last several months. I don't exactly know why. Maybe that will diminish after impeachment is done with. Maybe this is just the anger on the part of Trump cult members making them more willing to answer the phone calls of pollsters. So maybe that will diminish. But right now, as of today, uh, I believe that Trump is a prohibitive favorite to win re-election. And that is an incredibly dangerous set of uh, possibilities for the country and for the world. We'll know obviously more next week with regard to the New Hampshire primaries. Uh, but because Trump has now survived impeachment, we're going to stop calculating the chances that he will be removed before or not finish. That's how we've been rephrasing it. Not finish his first term in office because, frankly, the only chance he doesn't 
uh, finish his first term in office is if he happens to die. And so I don't find that to, to be of particular importance, putting a percentage chance on, on whether or not Trump is going to die in the next year. So we're going to stop calculating those chances because the impeachment trial is now officially over. And we're going to dramatically adjust the chances of his reelection to an all-time high of 67%. A 67% chance, as of today, that Donald Trump will be re-elected president of the United States. On that happy note, uh, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this uh, podcast episode. And uh, share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter, at IndividualOnePod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. Until next time. Thanks for listening. My name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.